Oh, man, that song. I think that the Lord was ministering to my heart during that song. And we have a tendency to look at our circumstances and to look at life in front of us. And I think uh, we're tempted to allow our circumstances to try to make us believe that God is not good. And um, I felt like the Lord was speaking to my heart that there's people in this room that have been let down by earthly fathers. And the Lord wanted to remind all of us that we all have one heavenly father who will never let us down. Um, and even, even in the midst of earthly fathers letting us down, God and his spirit, they're always, he's always at work. And he makes everything good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And as I was just reflecting on Father's Day, I was just reminded that, um, I was reminded of the meaning of life, really. And I was prepping this message, and you guys could just bookmark your Bible. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18. You could just turn there and just hold that place. I was reflecting on all of the good characters and attributes of father figures and father roles that I've had in my life. Um, If you guys know anything about my story, you know that I was raised by a single mom, my brother and I were, but we had many different men that stepped in and, and loved us well and uncles and role models and father figures and friends' dads, coaches. And uh, I once heard someone say, and it was someone from this church and this community, he said that all of us, not just men, men and women alike, we never grow out of our need to be fathered, ever. We don't grow out of our need to be fathered. And just because you may not have biological kids doesn't mean that you still can't father someone. And if you don't have your biological dad, doesn't mean that you can't be fathered by someone. And really, that's what the church is. The church is the way that God's spirit moves among us, around us, through us. And a lot of us are fathered and mothered by one another. And I don't mean in an unhealthy, codependent way. Um, (laughs) as I was reflecting on even just a lot of the wives and moms here today, I was reminded that on this Father's Day, I want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads, and I was reminded that wives and moms, that you are still the true heroes behind the scenes. Um, Dre was here early, leading, getting ready to lead worship, and she was at rehearsal, and she like kind of left me a list of like, this is what you need to do with Miles this morning. And I was like, look it, I'm just a big kid still being mothered, right? God, he has one bottle in the fridge and one on the counter. Make sure you feed him and change him. I'm like, Dre, come on. I'm not that bad of a dad, right? Uh, I can do this. Um, as I was prepping though, and I was looking over these statistics, I wanted to share them with you. According to statistics from multiple government sources and multiple studies, Fatherless homes may be America's greatest problem ever. A child raised without a father is five times more likely to to commit a crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail or prison. Also, the U.S. Department of Health and the U.S. Census Bureau says that 90% 90% of all homeless and runaway 
children are from fatherless homes. We see there's a great need in our world today. We do. We see there's a great privilege and responsibility in our world today. And this sermon, it might feel like I'm, I'm, it's just for men or fathers. It's not. I promise you it's not. I'll, I'll prove it to you in just a little bit. I promise. But men, I am talking to you this morning. We do have a, a very weighty responsibility that can make an eternal impact and a lasting difference that's needed now more than ever in our country and in our world. And as I'm even confronted with this dilemma of parenting, right, it's like there's so many different avenues and things and voices that claim to have the silver bullet. And I've, I've watched a lot of people parent. I'm parenting now. And I see there's this tension between being too friendly and being too authoritative. And when our kids are younger, they need that authority. Amen? They do. Because <laughs> left to themselves, they probably wouldn't be here tomorrow. But as our kids get older, I've seen that the best parental figures have this friendship relationship that permeates this aspect of fatherhood and motherhood. And I see this undeniable reality that as kids get older, there's this friendship that is developed between and among the parents. And it's, again, it's a tension that we walk, right? We can't be too friendly, especially too young, because our kids deserve discipline, they, they deserve correction, they need that, as well as love and comfort. They need all of those things. But I've, I've, I've viewed and I've, I've observed that the older that our children get, really what we all long for is friendship. And I've heard it time and time again. I remember hearing one guy say, I'm not called to be the, that boy's friend, I'm called to be his dad. And if he doesn't like me, so be it, right? I get that. It doesn't really sit well with me, but I understand it. And I think that authority is necessary. We're lacking it in a lot of areas in our world today. But I also see that friendship is lacking. And I was even talking to my brother, and I was like, we have these theological arguments. You know, twins, they can throw down with the best of them, right? We love each other the, the best, but we also argue the best. And I was like, I told him, I said, man, the meaning of life, it's friendship. And he said, nah. He gave me this just cheesy, reformed answer, and he said, the meaning of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I was like, bro, stop it. And I said, well, what does that look like practically? And he just said, ah, it looks like friendship. It looks like friendship. What did Jesus tell his disciples? He said, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I call you friends. What do we have in our children's ministry on the wall? God created you. God loves you. Jesus is my friend. You guys can talk back. It's a safe place. <laughs> it's a safe place. And so this isn't a Father's Day sermon. This isn't a message to say, hey, here's how you can be the best dad in the world. I mean, it kind of is, but it's really not. This is the sermon today. In order for us, the best thing that, any parent could ever give their child is emotional connection. And what that is, it's the presence of safety that encourages transparency and vulnerability. That's what emotional connection is. Emotional connection is when we feel safe and secure. It's when we feel seen and heard. It's when we feel comfortable being ourselves because we're fully known 
and unconditionally loved. Emotional connection is actually how we experience love. In this Father's Day, what I want to do is I want to focus on this reality that in order for us men to be the best dads, to be the best brothers, to be the best sons, to be the best friends that we could possibly be, we need other men in our life that we're connected to. And it isn't just to, to the men, right? Ladies, in order for you to be the best women, the best mom, the best wife, the best daughter, the best friend that you could possibly be, you need other women in your life that you're connected to, that you can confide in. And as we look to the scriptures in 1 Samuel chapter 18, I am confronted with this picture of friendship. It's one of the best friendships that I've ever seen in real life, in the scriptures, anywhere. And it's this friendship relationship that David has with Jonathan. And I want to take all of us there this morning. And my prayer is that we can look at these four ingredients that I'll call them of what it takes to make a true friendship. And how that friendship will permeate and impact every part of our being. And in doing so, it impacts every relationship that we have in our life. I truly believe we were created for friendship. First Samuel chapter 18. If you were with us last weekend, it's as if God ordained this message for us today. Austin preached on David and Goliath, which happens in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm picking right up in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we're going to look at this friendship relationship that David and Jonathan have together. And I'm going to pull out four ingredients that we see in the scripture. And then if we take these four ingredients, what it will do, it is it will give us the ingredients for friendship, and it'll help us find more meaning in life. First Samuel chapter 18, verse one through five. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, this is immediately after he just slayed Goliath, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. This is their first encounter. And he loved him as himself. What does the New Testament call us to do? It calls us to love our neighbor, what? As ourself. From that day, King Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David, he was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Now, People in general, men specifically. When you encounter another man that has some bravado to him, how does that encounter usually go? I mean, you might not physically be sizing him up, but you're like doing it internally, right? Let's be honest. It's so weird how we're wired left to our natural instincts, especially as men. <laughs> my wife sees some of the things that I do and she's like, oh my gosh, this is what I have to look forward to with my son, right? And I was like, yeah, just wait, <laughs> just wait. I'm not even gonna talk about what I do, guys, you understand. Ladies, you probably never will. Um, all right, let's keep it moving. So we see that David and Jonathan in this first encounter, I wanna just give us some context. Jonathan is the firstborn son of King Saul. Do you know what that means? He literally holds the keys to the kingdom. He's next in line for the throne. 
Not only that, the firstborn son was who you gave your inheritance to. Jonathan sees David and this anointing that he has on his life, and what does he do? Something that very few men can do, but every friendship requires this, and this is number one. That first ingredient, it's sacrifice. It's sacrifice. It's you sacrificing something for the benefit of another. This is how friendship starts. This is how it begins. Jonathan sees the anointing and the calling that David has on his life. So you know what he does? He takes off his robe. He takes off his tunic. He even gives him his weapons. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I see the future that God has on your life, and I'm not going to get in the way of that. I will sacrifice my ego. I will sacrifice my positional standing. I'll sacrifice it because I see what God's doing in your life, and that's what friends do. They sacrifice. There is no friendship without sacrifice. There's not. I'll prove it to you. Look at our culture today. Everybody claims they want friends, but I think that we don't want to become the type of people that would have friends. How do I know this? Our culture, especially millennials, (laughs) you guys love it when I pick on millennials, huh? Here we go. Have you ever made plans and then you got to the night before those plans and you were so excited a week before those plans when you made them and you get to the night before and now all of a sudden you're just anxious. Some people are just like having almost a panic attack. They're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go. I'm going to come up with some excuse. And why don't you want to go? Because you just want to stay home. No real, no real reason, no excuse. You don't want to get out of the comfort of your own home. You set up a coffee with someone and it's an hour before and you're like, oh, how can I get out of this? We've lost the ability to sacrifice. And we see that the reason why we were created is friendship, but a lot of us don't want to sacrifice. And in in doing so, we don't end up with friends. I know people in my life that they, they, they cry because they don't have friends, but it's been like seven days since they've left the house. You could start with at least leaving the house. It's like the only place you go to is work and home, work and home, and you're doing your duty as a human being. No, you're missing out on a lot. We're called to sacrifice. In any good friendship, sacrifice is always a must. Always. But you know what? We live in a culture, really, that says, unless I can get something out of this, I'm not going. Unless this relationship can do something for me, I'm not going to enter into it. And we see that the very first ingredient to this biblical, godly friendship is sacrifice. We are called to sacrifice our comfort. We are called to look for ways to serve the people around us. And if it doesn't hurt, it's not sacrifice, right? Jonathan literally gave up. This is drastic. This is why I said this is the best example. I'm not saying you have to like be this example, but let's, let's, let's just fight for it to get somewhere close to this example. Jonathan gave up everything because he saw what God was doing in David's life. The second thing that we're gonna see in the friendship of David and Jonathan is we're gonna see courage. 
And I wanna read this next passage to you and I'm just flowing through the scriptures chronologically and I'm gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse one now. The first ingredient is sacrifice and the second ingredient is courage. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David because King Saul was insecure about who David was and the influence that he had. And unlike Jonathan, Saul was not willing to sacrifice. And so Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David, but Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and he warned David. He said, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I'll go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. I wanna stop and pause right there. How many people, when you're reading this, you're like, wow, Jonathan, you're such a coward. <laughs> you're a, a rat, a weasel, a snitch. You're going behind your father's back and you're looking out for David. Like, why, why can't you just stand up to your dad? Guess what, he does. This is why the second ingredient is courage and we see Jonathan exemplify it. Jonathan even spoke well of David to his father Saul. And he said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. And if you know anything about King Saul in this passage, you know that King Saul is not a man of his word. But what do we see Jonathan exemplify here in this passage? We see that Jonathan is someone who embodies courage. And what is courage? I learned this from Brene Brown, I love her, she's incredible. She says that in our society and in our culture, we think that courage is this strong word. We think it's armoring up and wielding a sword. We think it's jumping in front of the bus to save the old lady. We think it's this crazy act of bravery that we just wait and hope will come our way so we can be the person that embodies this courage. That's not what courage is. Do you know what courage is? Courage is a heart word. It literally means to share your whole heart. For some of us, that's the scariest thing we could ever do in our entire lives. That's what courage is. Courage is a heart word. It means you're not afraid to share your whole heart. Most people in Jonathan's position, myself included, I would have ran to David and I would have been like, hey, don't tell my dad that I told you this, but he wants to kill you. That's not courage. Courage is actually speaking truth to power as well. That's what courage is. And Jonathan goes back to his dad and he says, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What's going on here? David has done nothing but benefit your kingdom. It's not even your kingdom, Saul. God is the one who appointed you into this place. And you see, Saul forgot that. Jonathan didn't. And we see that Jonathan exemplifies and embodies courage. 
He stands up for what is right and he speaks his whole heart, not just to David, but to his dad as well, to the king. He could have been killed for speaking against the king's wishes. And we see also that Jonathan wasn't okay with gossip. He wasn't okay with slander. He spoke up on behalf of his friend, even when, when his friend wasn't there. I, I heard this quote one time, and it rocked me. <laughs> and hopefully a lot of us have grown out of this phase of friendship, but have you ever had a friend who just runs to you with drama? Dre, my wife, is watching this show called Selling Sunset on Netflix, I'm not gonna lie, I like rarely watch shows and that show caught me late one night, like three nights ago. And I stayed up with my wife until probably one in the morning watching this show. I don't recommend it, this is, I'm not endorsing it, but I have found myself addicted to the drama that was embodied in this show. It's so catty and these real estate agents are just so ridiculous. And one of the things that you see is they love running to one person to tell them how another person is talking about them. And they do it over and over again. And then the person who runs and starts the drama, when it gets back to them, they're like, it's not my fault, I'm not a drama starter, that's not the, that's not the girl that I am. And she's like, well, why didn't you just confront us both and just say it to our faces? And then she said, well, that's not my job, I was just relaying the facts. And I'm watching the show and it's so funny, I'm like, doing psychology on all these, these people in this show. I'm like, it's the one who slander and gossip that start all the drama. They start all the drama. But then they remove themselves from being a, a part of the solution. Like they're not the problem. And this is what courage is. If you ever have a friend that confronts you about the way that someone else is talking about you, this is what you need to do with that friend that is bringing this gossip to you. You need to say, don't tell me what was said about me. Tell me why they were so comfortable saying it to you in the first place. Right? And that's the kind of courage that Jonathan embodies. He's like, hey, hold up. I'm not just going to take this to David. I'm actually going to bring this to the source, the king, my father, and I'm going to tell him that this is not okay. First Samuel chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, just to continue to hit this point home. Saul's anger flared up, not just at David now, but at Jonathan, at his own son. And he said, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Oh, now it's the mom's fault, right? <laughs> classic, man, classic. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse, that is David, to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death, Jonathan says. What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at his own son to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Now he knew his father was out of his mind. If, and if you've read this story, King Saul started with throwing spears at David because he wanted to kill David earlier. And now he's throwing spears at his own son. And I think because Saul is confronted with that righteousness of God, and evil doesn't like the righteousness of God. No, it doesn't. It wants to kill the righteousness of God. Jonathan embodies courage. We need to be people that embody 
courage. Now, leading into that third ingredient, remember I said there's four. The third ingredient is, I'm going to share it with you and then I'm going to unpack it. It's God's presence, otherwise known as God's will for your life too. And I want to show you how the friendship relationship of David and Jonathan, the friendship cared more about God's presence and God's will in each individual's life, even more so than the own friendship itself. That's powerful. That's so powerful. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, David is in hiding now. He's running for his life. And Jonathan goes to meet him, to minister to him in his time of need. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15, it says, While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord right then and there. there then Jonathan went home, but David remained. We see courage and sacrifice embodied in this moment, and that makes room for God's presence to be experienced so powerfully. Here, Jonathan is again sacrificing his position for God's purpose in the life of David. Here, Jonathan is again speaking truth to a fearful David, giving him courage. A good friend helps you find strength in God. A good friend ministers to you. They don't encourage gossip. They don't agitate the problem. A good friend pushes you into your purpose. A good friend reminds you more of your future than your past. And even as I've learned in my life, I think that naturally we have this tendency to want to help people fix all their problems. Some more so than others, right? Like, I want to be the source of saving in someone else's life. I want to be the hero in this relationship. And what that means is oftentimes we care more about the relationship than we do about God's presence in the relationship if we're not careful. And we see that Jonathan and David they didn't have that kind of a friendship. As I was taking notes, I was reminding myself that it's not my, it's not my responsibility to save anyone. It's not your responsibility to save anyone. It's our responsibility to point one another to our Savior, to the only one who really can save. And even as I was younger, and I think maybe you can relate, this is why I got into trouble in my youth. Especially anybody, and all of us have a past, all of us have wounds, right? All of us have some sort of trauma in our life. And specifically, I think some of the most detrimental are the father wound and the mother wound. And I grew up without a present dad. And so I'll be honest. One of the ways that I tried to cope with that reality would be trying to maybe save other people in my life, whether that be 
friendship relationships or whether that be a relationship with someone of the opposite sex. This is church, right? I gotta be honest here. We need the truth here. And I found myself in those relationships caring more about the relationship than God's presence in the relationship. And Jonathan told David, he's like, hey, we have to part ways, but I'm coming to remind you of your purpose. I was reminded 10 years ago, found myself here in Madison, Mississippi, working at a church pretty close by here. And I was in student ministry, I was loving life. It was the first time my brother and I had been working at the same church doing ministry together in two years. He had been in Malawi, Africa, serving overseas for two years. And we were inseparable growing up. And I found myself in Mississippi with him, serving at the same church. And during that stint of serving, I had a church in Arizona contact me and flew me out for an interview. And they wanted me to be the college and young adult pastor of an awesome church in Arizona. And then I had a church here in Mississippi that were like, hey, we'll create whatever job description you want if you stay here, but we're not gonna tell you how much we're gonna pay you because we want you to make the decision without thinking about money. And I was like, oh, you dogs. <laughs> Got me there, right? Got me there. And you know what happened? So the church in Arizona, they, they booked my flight and they flew me to Atlanta and then all the way to Arizona. And so on the way back, you know what the church in Mississippi did? They said, hey, forget about that return flight. We're gonna fly you straight to New Orleans and we're gonna take you red fishing. I was like, oh, wow. You guys really do want me, huh? And they flew me straight to New Orleans, and it was my first time red fishing, and I'm addicted now. I loved it. So now I'm getting to this point where I had the interview in Arizona, and I'm de debating and praying through the pros and cons of what decision to make. And I had a friend who was my brother, and you know what he told me? He said, you got to go. He said, you got to go. He looked at me and he said, you have to go. And so I went. And I had my desert season, which was a great season in Arizona. And God ministered to me in ways that I could never have imagined. Met my wife, had my son. But you know what's crazy? Is God brought me back. He brought me back. <laughs> and now I live a half a mile from my brother. We need friendships that care more about God's presence in the relationship rather than the relationship itself. And this leads me to my final main point. I know I'm going over, got a couple minutes. And this is the most important point of all four ingredients. And there's some people in this room that are gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. The fourth ingredient is emotional connection. It's emotional connection. I wanna read this to you now. So now Jonathan, he led battles all the time. And now he finally falls in battle. And we're gonna read in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 25, David's response to the death of his best friend, Jonathan. He says in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 25, he says, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. Awkward silence. Why does David say that? 
Number one, David had multiple wives. We're not going to get into that because I don't have enough time. But why did David say that? And this leads me to my fourth ingredient of emotional connection. There is something that a lot of us are missing out on, especially men. And this is an ingredient that we can't skip in our friendships. Emotional connection is how we experience love. In men, generally speaking, are you good with your emotions? All the ladies, yeah, we got one guy shaking his head no, but all the ladies are like, come on. You don't even have to ask, right? Generally speaking, we're not. Why? Because we're taught from a very early age. Oh, come on, don't cry. Man up. And so what do we do with our emotions? Suppress them. We hide them. We forget about them. We box them up and think they'll stay there. And then they start to spill over in every area of our life. As men, we are terrified. I'm just going to be honest. We're terrified to connect emotionally with another man. So you know what we do instead? We connect physically with a woman. Can I really go there right now? I can. Thank you. And this is what we do. It's easier for us to connect physically, especially when we're younger men, right? It's easier for us to connect physically with a woman than it is for us to connect emotionally with another man, with a friend. David says here that the love that he had with Jonathan was greater than any love that he had ever experienced. I want to read one more passage, and I'm jumping back a couple chapters just to reiterate this point, and then we're going to pray it out. When, when Jonathan first told David that he had to flee, we see this encounter between David and Jonathan, and it's a very heightened emotional encounter. It comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41. So this is when Jonathan told David, he's like, hey, I'm gonna go confront my dad and if he finds out that he, if I find out that he really wants to kill you, I'm gonna shoot arrows in a field that you're hiding in. And he says, if I send the, the boy to get the arrows and I tell the boy to go past you, then you know that my dad wants to kill you and you have to run for your life. And so what happens is Jonathan does find out that his dad wants to kill David. He sends the messenger past David in the field to collect the arrows. And then this is what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41. It says, after the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Emotionally heightened experience. And then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. They kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. What do we do with that? <laughs> if I was telling you goodbye and I kissed you goodbye, that would be a little weird. Not a little weird, it would be really weird, right? It wasn't weird in this culture and in this context. And how do I know that? Because a, there was three acts of hospitality in friendship, culturally speaking. It was a kiss, which would be weird today. It was washing your feet. I didn't wash your feet when you came through those doors today. That would be weird today. 
it was, an, it was anointing your head with oil. We don't do these things today. But what these things are, they're symbols of a deeper truth and reality. They're symbols of friendship. They're symbols of hospitality. They're symbols of emotional connection. And this is why the love that David and Jonathan had was greater than any other love. It's because anyone who establishes a friendship for access to power, money, or sexual relations, when these ends are not attainable, the friendship ceases. Stay with me. Love that is not dependent on selfish ends is true love of the other person since there is no intended end. Any friendship relationship that is a means to an end and not an end in and of itself is not a friendship. It's manipulation. When's the last time you kissed your friend and cried in their neck? Never, right? Got some of you guys looking at me like, are you this dude serious right now? When's the last time? And I was thinking about this, and this rocked me. This happened to me about five weeks ago. I was at my mom's funeral service. And my brother and I just got done officiating her service. And I was strong. I was, held my composure. My emotions were stoic. And then I had one of my closest friends walk down the aisle and hug me. And I went to let go, and he wouldn't let me go. And I broke down and I started sobbing and he started sobbing and my face fell to his neck and my tears started to fall on his neck. And I was reminded of this passage and I was reminded of why we were created and it's for friendship, it's for emotional connection. Men, you need other men in your life to confide in, to be connected to. Women, you need other women in your life to confide in and to be connected to. And you have to risk it. You have to risk relationship. You have to fight for friendship. And I know it's scary, but the opposite is even scarier. C.S. Lewis said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love it all is to be vulnerable. So then I ask you a question. Have you felt disconnected from God? Have you felt isolated from your spouse? Have you felt like you don't have any friends in your life? Do you need someone to confide in? You need to step out of your comfort. You need to choose sacrifice. You need to embody courage. And it's there that God's presence shows up. Here at Vertical, we have a belief that our emotional health and connection is directly related to our spiritual health and connection. The deeper and more intimate our vertical connection is with God, the more fruitful and deep our horizontal connection is with one another. And I wanted to just close and end our time here together by telling you, 
Don't wait any longer to get connected. Community is here. That's why the church exists. And as I get ready to close and to pray for you, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to encourage everyone in here, everyone, to to not pray about it, right? Like, you don't need to pray about this. Get connected. Man, we have our hangar ministry that I have been a part of, and I've never seen emotional connection embodied more clearly than I did when I was at a coaching weekend. You talk about courage. You talk about vulnerability. You talk about God's presence. Men, don't wait, get connected. We have men from the hangar that are here today. Reach out. We have a coaching weekend that's coming up September 22nd. Sign up for it. Ladies, we have the table that was just kicked off. We launched it. It happens every Tuesday night. Don't take those things for granted. Step out of your comfort. Get connected. And then I just wanted to announce this. If you've been in any type of leadership role, overseeing groups or retreats or coaching weekends, we need your help. If you've never been in a leadership role but you want to be, we need your help. We're going to be launching groups in the fall, and there's no better way to experience God's presence than being connected to God's community. And so we we need leaders to sign up. We're going to have sign-ups next weekend. Putting this on your radar right now, we're going to be shouting it out all week and next weekend. Get signed up. Get connected. I want to pray for you as we close. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now on this Father's Day, and we thank you for the way that you father each and every one of us. We thank you for your presence, God, that is here in this place. And if anybody feels convicted or inspired this morning, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to act on those convictions. I pray that you would remind us that we're not alone, God. I pray that you would remind us that we may have been let down by earthly father figures, God, but you're the perfect father. Help us to be people that sacrifice for one another. Help us to be people that embody courage and stand up not only for what is right, but the courage to speak our whole heart. When we're feeling alone, when we're feeling isolated, give us the courage to reach out. But then give us the follow through to sacrifice our comfort for that connection that we need, God, with your presence and with one another. So I thank you for a church that is truly as real as it gets. God, there isn't a church in Mississippi that I would have come here for. Vertical is so special. We thank you for your hand and the way that it is on this church. Continue to bless your people. And we just thank you for who you are. And we praise you for that. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, church, happy Father's Day. Grab a donut on the way out and enter into that raffle to win that prize, please.